Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Unfortunately, it's the offseason, two weeks earlier than we would have liked. And so here we are with the inaugural edition of the front office brought to you by Royal Farms, home of the world's greatest chicken. I'm Tony Lombardi. Today, I'm joined by Brian McFarlane of Russell Street Report and the great Jeff Zarebeck from The Athletic. Welcome, fellas. How are you? Good, Tony. Good. Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, trying to get over the um, the uh, premature end of the season, I guess we'll say. And unfortunately, this is my time of year, so I got to jump right into it. <laughs> yeah, I sort of dread that that text or email from you that has that first list of things to do in the offseason because that means we just lost. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff, bitter end to the season. Yeah, you know, um, their struggles a little bit in the playoffs in recent years, I think, always give you pause when you, when you head into a situation like this. But it just seemed like things were lining up so well for them. It, it just seemed like this was going to be their year that they learned from previous uh, playoff failures. And, you know, again, I think it would be – easier for people to accept if they went down swinging or they went down playing their game or if Patrick uh you know Mahomes just had this heroic performance even if they lost on like a a, a Harrison Butker field goal at the gun at least you know it just never felt like they pushed the Chiefs it just never felt like the Chiefs had to do anything extraordinary to beat them um, Mahomes was great those first two drives. Then you got the sense that he just didn't feel like he had to take any chances the rest of the way because the Ravens' offense was so under wraps. It's just disappointing, you know. I mean, these opportunities to to host a game like that come by so infrequently. And when you get to it, not only to lose, as I said, that's one thing, but to go down where it doesn't feel like you were even close to your best or you let it all out there. I mean, you got to live with that for a long time. I mean, they'll have to live with that until uh, they get back there again. You know, I was thinking of what other games that ended a Ravens season were more heartbreaking. And, and I have to say, I, we all have this recency bias. You know, things that happened most recently seem to impact your life more because time has lessened the pain of things that may have happened years ago. But when I had to, when I gave it some thought, I, I thought that in 2011, when they lost the AFC Championship game in New England, you know, we all know the Billy Cundiff shank and and the Lee Evans strip drop, whatever you want to call it. The that to me was more painful than this one. Even though they played their game, they played well, they rallied at the end, should have won the game. That to me was more painful, and the way that team responded. You know, they lost guys like uh, what's the Johnson, Jared Johnson. They lost players like that. Uh, Ricky Williams didn't come back. And you thought, you know, maybe the 2012 team wasn't going to be as good. So I, I kind of direct my thoughts right now towards that and make that analogy for 2023, hoping that in 2024, maybe they learned a lesson from 2023 and they'll fix that. But as you pointed out before, Jeff, we've seen similar eggs being laid by the Ravens in the playoffs like this before, where they've gotten away from who they are and from what got them there to begin with. 
Yeah, I think that's the frustrating part. And that's something they have to figure out. Why does this keep happening? Um, one of the things that's been the Ravens trademark, um, you know, in, in really in team history, but it, especially in the Lamar Jackson years, is, is just, you know, they're the team that imposes their will. They force you out of their your comfort zone, um, you, you know, because they play a, a different kind of style uh, in, in what they do. And, 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 you know, it's worked, you know, swimmingly for them in the regular season, but yet they get in the offs, they get into the playoffs and they just really don't, it seems like the little things get them out of their game, whether it's an early deficit or a turnover. And, and then they start playing the other team's game. I mean, they fall into the trap uh, for a lack of better, uh, you know, term. And, and, you know, they have to figure, they have to figure that out. They just, you know, they seem to lose their identity way, way too easily in the postseason. Um, you know, and and there's always little reasons for that here and there. Um, I, you know, I, I think they will get over, they will get over the hump one of these years, but that doesn't mean these missed opportunities don't hurt. I, I mean, you know, everything was, everything was there for them, uh, you know, in the AFC championship game. And, and, uh, as I said, that one will stick for a while because they have to figure out why they seem to get into this spot and, they not only do they not play their best, but they don't really even resemble the team they've been for much of the season. You know, we were yeah, all, I I'm sorry, Brian, we, we were all there and I kind of felt sorry for Anquan Bolden and Terrell Suggs, which who they brought out there during the game to try to get the crowd riled up and it fell flat because you could sense the air was coming out of the stadium and to Jeff's point, they were just getting away from who they were. And it was like the crowd said, we've seen this this movie before, and we know how it ends. And, and I think frustration started to set it. I've never seen this at any Ravens game at M&T Bank Stadium where bottles were flying out of the top deck. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Tony, I, I look at the uh, – my comparison for this game is the 06 game against the Colts, the playoff game, where – I'm honest. It was the same sort of scenario. We were the better team um, coming in, at least on paper, I guess we'll say uh, we were the home team. Um, and we totally that that was the same thing. You know, we ran the ball and McNair, you know, did his thing. But we were a running team and they totally got away from running. Jamal was granted on the back end of his career at that point but it had a good year and they totally got out away from that and threw the ball over, all over the place. McNair was terrible. And it was just, as you said, that frustration, um, you know, you could just feel it. And it, they never, it was like they were never in that game, even though they were never really out of the game. They were never that far out of the game. Same, same with this, this, this time. Um, so I, that's my comparison more and that, and granted I was at both games, so maybe it's, you know, that visceral feeling as well of um, just that, as, as Jeff said, you, you just blew a great opportunity. That team was 13 and three and the best team in the league that year. Um, even though I guess they didn't have the number one seed because I think the Patriots went 14 and two, but I mean, they ju just felt like this was, that was going to be the year they were finally getting back to the Super Bowl. They had McNair. They had that veteran. They had, you know, hey, they had that guy that was going to, you know, uh, after the bowler years, you know, they had that guy that was the leader. And then they just fell flat on their face. And it, it, that to me was that's my comparison. It feels like the same exact game. 
So the Ravens had their annual post-mortem presser sans uh, Steve Bashotti last Friday. Brian, any any takeaways from that presser? I mean, those <laughs> those pressers are what they are. I, you know, I, when fans get upset at them, I like, what do you expect them to say? You know, <laughs> uh, I, you know, um, I just, you know, I was I was more focused on. I mean, again, I'm already focused on this this coming year now. And listen to Acosta about you know the plans, and obviously he wasn't giving away much there either. Um, but I do; it's just one of those things, you know. Fans have the time to digest it and all of that. It's crazy to me that you know you lose on Sunday and on Monday. You're you're already signing guys for next year. You're already planning for next year. I mean, there's no – the coaches have some time to decompress, but it's crazy to me how the front office guys just have to go, hey, they got to flip that switch and, you know, we got to put that behind us and we got to go – you got to start talking about next year. Jeff, anything that wasn't said during that pressure that may have been bothersome to you in some way? No, no I mean, not really. I, I think I, – I like I agree with what Brian said. It's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, I think – you lose the AFC championship on your, your home field. What is honestly, what are they going to say five days later? That's going to suddenly make everybody feel better. Um, what are, you know, this is not an organization prone to overreacting and to making all these, you know, huge sweeping statements. And, um, you know, I, I think people wanted a pound of flesh and that that's just not, not how they operate. Um, you know, some of the reasoning for not running the ball, I, I, you know, I think people would have rather just heard, look, we screwed up, we choked, you know, we, we let the game get away from us. Uh, we panicked to the early deficit and to what the, the chiefs did to the Ravens defense, the first two drives and, and we got ahead of ourselves and we choked, but that's just not how they talk. That's just not what they're ever going to say. Um, so you know, you know, I always I didn't have high expectations of it. You know, Tony, I would have liked to hear from Harbaugh earlier in the week where we could just focus more on wrapping that game up. I, I think, you know, when you're asking questions at one of those things, you're sort of in the mix between usually a lot of those are pushing things forward. Like the end of the season, you talk about all the, the postseason, you know, all the offseason decisions they have to make and the free agents and, and the contracts and all that. But that was hard to do considering that was really the first time, you know, Harbaugh had spoken since after, right after the game. And you know, you're not going to get the greatest answers right after the game. You know, he's still going to review the tape. He's, you know, he's going to settle down and think of some things. So, um, you know, it, it really, you know, other than, you know, you always would like to hear like, look, we messed up, we choked, but that that's just not how they do business. I, that's not, that wasn't my expectations. And uh, my expectations were pretty much what they said, um, you know, and I think both, uh, both of them will probably talk at the combine here in a couple of weeks and, it'll be the time to more push things forward uh, rather than kind of dwelling on a game that was only five days old. I agree with you. It's part of their MO not to disclose to the public these kinds of things that, like like you said, Jeff, the public wants a pound of flesh, but they're not going to do that, at least not publicly. But I wonder sometimes if some of the you know discussion that we would like to hear is it happening behind closed doors because you would think it would have to be if they're going to get better. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, Steve Bashotti always calls John Harbaugh after games, like either the night of, the day later. And I imagine there was uh, some, you know, pointed questions about why things, uh, you know, went as they did. Why are the running backs only getting, what, six total carries? Um, but, you know, th I, this – Again, I, it's a little frustrating because I, I often the media gets blamed. Well, you didn't ask this and you didn't ask that. And I just kind of find that laughable. I mean, you know, the first five questions were about the run and the disappearance of the run. And why didn't Lamar Jackson, um, you know, run more, even though there were opportunities clearly for him to do that. So, um, you know, you can't browbeat them into saying what you want them to say. That, that That's just really not how this works. Um, so I, I, I think that, that gets frustrating, um, you, you know, to certain people. So, but, you know, as I said, you move on, you check the box, their off season press, their set end of season press conferences all over, they move on. I'm sure they'll meet, you know, with Steve, um, here, uh, soon going forward and, and come up with a plan for this off season. Uh, you know, they, as Eric DaCosta said, he was on a plane the next morning to mobile for the senior bowl. So you can only dwell on it for so long. Yeah. It's almost like a win and a loss. The players get over both or they, they get over a loss faster than fans do. And they celebrate a win a lot, uh, sh shorter period of time than, than fans do so I wanted to get your thoughts on the coaching staff it's kind of in a state of flux and I'll direct these questions towards Jeff and and Brian jump in with any thoughts that you have but let's talk about some of the losses and then the replacements with or potential replacements with the coaching staff starting with losing Mike McDonald replaced by Zach or your thoughts on that Jeff I think we all knew at some point that Mike McDonald was going to be a head coach um, and it had you know, with with the way the Seahawks and Washington Commanders search went, it was pretty clear that they were waiting to speak to Mike McDonald. Um, and, you know, Mike McDonald and, and Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson were kind of the bells of the ball and they were the two left. And uh, once McDonald, you know, Ben Johnson pulled out, there was two jobs and, and one top candidate. So, it's tough. I mean, it's, you know, Mike's a stud. I mean, he's, you know, we'll still see how he'll do as a head coach. Um, you know, he's he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have some tests going forward. Um, but I think he just had to know you were going to lose him. You know, it, it just it, it stinks. But that's the reality of it. And I don't know if there was a more interesting coaching kind of like with the, the chairs and and, you know, like somebody described it to me a couple days after the season, it was like Armageddon with the Ravens coaching staff. Like all these guys were getting offers. Everyone wanted a piece of the staff and Harbaugh kind of had to make a decision about like, look, who do we not want to lose? And, you know, the reality was Weaver, Wilson or, um, you know, Hewitt to, to a lesser extent. There's been some interest in him, too. Um, but not as much as those other guys. And three of those guys were going to get defensive coordinator jobs. One way, any way you look at it, so you were only going to be able to keep one. And 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 they opted to keep Zach Orr. It's a, it's an interesting. It was an interesting decision. I think you know he's there's going to be an experience uh, thing factor there um, that you just don't know how Zach Orr will will do quickly, but. I mean, he's a really smart dude. He's a, he's a leader. They love him in the building. He's a player's guy. 
motivator. So I, you know, it's John made that call. This is the guy we don't want to lose. This is, you know, it just reminded me in a lot of ways of they kept the coach with the, the most upside in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and I think, or given his age and, and where he's at, uh, he probably had the most upside. Now, Denard Wilson, I think had, a, had a chance to be the Ravens defensive coordinator. He wanted to make a decision fast. He felt like doors were closing uh, on that Tuesday. So he committed to kind of that Titans job uh, Tuesday. And I think that kind of took some people by surprise. I think um, there was a chance he would have been the DC here or he would have gone to, to Seattle with Mike McDonald. Um, but he kind of, when he went there, that, that took an option out for the Ravens and took an option out for McDonald's in Seattle. Uh, so it was kind of Oren Weaver at that point. And, and John went with the, you know, John felt strongly that it was Zach Orr's time and, and we'll see how it goes. I, I, I you know, it, it's, it'll definitely be a, a decision that will be scrutinized, but I, I, you know, you, you move beyond that a little bit. We'll see how he does. But, God, how can you not feel good for Zach Gore? I mean, I'll never forget that press conference, you know, when he had to retire, you know, like a year short of a big payday. And he was becoming kind of one of the, the key pieces on that defense. And then I'll have to retire immediately. Um, that had to hurt. But he's worked his way up quickly. He, he, people rave about him. And, uh, you know, he's earned this opportunity. Do you think that there may have been or some of the thought process that went into Zach Orr over Weaver? Because if he had asked me a month ago which of those two guys I thought would be the defensive coordinator if Mike left, I, I would have picked Weaver. But then I, the more I thought about it, Zach Orr is probably going to provide some stability to that position for a few years, whereas Weaver, he could have been a one and done as the D.C. for the Ravens. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think if if they had a great year defensively, Weaver probably would have been one of the top coaching candidates uh, you know, going forward. Um, you know, I don't know. It's hard to say, Tony, but in a lot of ways to me, and, and Weaver's going to a great situation in Miami. You know, they got some elite players on that defense. Um, clearly, the players did not enjoy playing for Vic Fangio and uh, Weaver with his cat charisma and his, you know, I mean, guy still looks like he can, you know, go out there and, and get to the quarterback. I mean, he's, he's a specimen and, um, you know, smart guy, charismatic, as I said, energetic. So, uh, he should do great. But in a lot of ways, you know, people I talked to felt like kind of Weaver even profiles better as a head coach at this point than, than even a defensive coordinator. And, and I think I wondered if that was part of it. I, I mean, you know, that his strengths sort of uh, are best suited maybe to be a head coach, uh, you know, even more. I mean, you you know, you wonder if that also factored in, in the Ravens' uh, uh, mind here. So, you know, look, but if Zach Orr, if, if they have a really good year on defense, given all the changes they're going to have and, you know, everybody's looking for the next, the new thing here. And, you know, given Zach's age, energy, charisma, uh, he could move quickly too, and then we'll be back in the same boat. But um, you know, I, as I said, I just think John felt strongly that that Zach was ready for this opportunity. Uh, he knew he'd likely lose Anthony Weaver. That's just the way it works. He knew how teams were interested in him, and uh, they they just were were much less willing to lose Zach Orr, who probably would have went with McDonald or uh, may have even gotten that Packers job. This is the front office. I'm Tony Lombardi with Brian McFarlane from Russell Street Report and with Jeff Zarebeck from The Athletic. 
Hey guys, you know, uh, Tom Palacero reported earlier this week that Jerry Rosberg was going to be like the in-game manager, assistant to Harbaugh to make in-game decisions on the, along the sideline. And then later they retracted that, that the two didn't you know, come to terms or, or reach an agreement as initially reported by Palacero. Any thoughts on that, Jeff? And Brian, chime in with your thoughts as well. You know, when I, I, you know, Jerry's around the team, like he was around the team three or four times this season. You, you know, you get used to seeing him. He was at the, he went to the uh, Josh Bynes retirement press conference. His daughter is, is a coaching assistant, works directly with John. So when I saw that, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. You know, they're, they're losing a, their assistant head coach in Weaver and Jerry could help in that area. Special teams didn't have a great year. Uh, it looks like they're subtracting one of their special teams coaches. So to get Jerry in there and then to kind of help being in the eye in the sky. I mean, there were some issues at that uh, in that area this year too. It's just like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't, I hadn't been able to get confirmation on it, um, but I just says, okay. So, you know, and then later that night I was told that, look, there's no truth to it. It was, it's completely an erroneous report. Um, which I, it's, it's just curious how all this went down. Um, you'd think John and the, the organization would have a strong enough relationship with them where it wouldn't be something where, oh, it was over financial compensation or any of that. You, you'd kind of think that they'd be above that. So I, I didn't hear that was the case. It seemed like from what I was told, it was just something that was discussed and they sort of moved on. Um, you know, with other plans that it didn't go that that far down the road where it was one of those situations where his hiring was imminent. But again, I'm hearing that from one person. John Harbaugh has has not been available to comment on his coaching staff. He's been very quiet. He has a you know, like there are there are a number of other coaches who aren't even going to be back on the staff from what I'm hearing. Um, maybe not big names, but guys that are part of the staff who they've already either moved on from. So he's going through, there's a lot of changes going on there, but yeah, the surprise to me was just, it just see the whole situation with Rosberg seemed odd. And then to hear it really never got far down that road. I mean, Tom Pelsera is a really good reporter. He's not a guy who just throws stuff out there. So obviously he had a pretty good authority that Jerry was coming back and, you know, I'd like to hear more about that situation from the the people who were involved. Yeah, I mean, my only thought on that, I know a lot of people are kind of making fun of it, of, you know, why does Harbaugh need this? Or, yeah, he already definitely needs this. But, I mean, that kind of coach or that kind of assistance, I think, especially a guy like Jerry, who's, you know, well-liked and well-respected and obviously a very sharp guy, I think every Every coach should have, have an assistant like that who was just there to, to just to have a you know a voice in your ear. Hey, don't forget about this. Don't forget about that. Because there's so much going on, and obviously you know, the emotion of the game too can take you away. And Jerry seems like a guy that would be able to be hold on a sec, think about this. What are we doing here? You know. So I think every coach should have that. And it's not a that's not a a slap at Harbaugh. I just think I just think that's a great these days the way. Um, you know, every, there's all these different refined roles of coaching. I think that's a great, I think it's a great thing. And, but it is odd the way it played out for sure. The Ravens losses aren't just, you know, unique to the coaching staff. The front office has seen some changes as well with the analytics guys, guys that support the salary cap. And also Joe Ortiz moves on to the, be the GM 
paired up with Jim Harbaugh with the Los Angeles Chargers. Do you think that Ortiz is taking some organizational secrets with him, and does that hurt the Ravens maybe on day three <laughs> of the draft when those hidden gems sometimes surface? I, Tony, it was uh, funny. I, I We get kind of made fun of as reporters for our obsession with comp picks. Um, you know, I think we're, we're the only media core that kind of keeps a running tally yeah, um, you know, because we just know how important it is to the organization. And uh, I always kind of get some side eye looks when I'm with my other colleagues from other uh, cities, uh, you know, at the combine and, and and at the owners meetings where I bring up comp picks. Uh, but it's certainly a factor. And, and I chuckled that Joe Ortiz apparently mentioned it four different times during his uh, Chargers press conference, which uh, kind of took them by surprise, uh, you know, there. So, yeah, I think there'll certainly be a way Joe does things there. And, and um, you know, but that's – and I, well, there's a report that they're bringing Chad Alexander in as his assistant GM. Uh, he was with the Jets, but that's another guy that learned under Ozzie Newsom. So – um, you know, I mean, you see this. I mean, there's Ravens coaches now all over the NFL. There's Raven former Ravens executives all over the NFL. I mean, it 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 makes it much uh it makes it that you know that much more tough to to kind of do what you want to do when um other people have clearly caught on in, in certain ways. But let's face it, I mean, um Ravens used to be like one of a very few teams who were big on the comp pick uh formula and 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 kind of uh, abided by that but we've seen in recent years other teams that have sort of adopted it too so uh and I, now we have another team the chargers who you'll probably see uh heavily involved uh with the whole comp pick scenarios yeah, and it looks yeah. Like george is going to have a lot of decisions to make out there with their salary cap situation yeah and that's what i was going to say they're going to need a lot of draft picks um so this extra comp picks um, I'm not sure what free agents are losing and the like, but that's probably something they're going to need to focus on and in, in having more draft picks because they're they're going to lose a lot of veterans and then they're not going to have a lot of space to bring guys in. John Harbaugh's contract status, I believe he signed through 2025, Jeff. <clears throat> yeah, that sounds right. Um, yeah, and, that sounds right. And I think it's also probably pretty standard practice for – Steve Bashotti to do something about that right about now as they're entering into that season prior to when it expires or, or am I a year too premature? Yeah, I think it's after the two thousand. he signed through two, 2025. Um, so after the 2024 season would be the year where you'd address that. Uh, he does not like his head coaches to go into lame duck one year situations. So, um, you know, uh, any Harbaugh decision about his contract status would more than likely be made at this time next year. Um, you know, because he'd be heading into his lame duck year heading into the 2025 season. Jeff, in your opinion, when does John get into troubled waters? In other words, what does he what has to happen if suddenly that next extension is questioned you know what tony that's such a hard question to answer and, and i think fans get frustrated by it like he has to be on the hot site this has to be winner else but i don't think any of us really know how 
Steve Ashadi thinks about it and what he because he speaks so rarely. We get very little glimpse behind the Bishadi curtain on how he feels about certain things. How frustrated is he uh, that they haven't been able to get back to the Super Bowl? I, I, I wish I could tell you that. I, I just don't know. And, um, you know, maybe Steve will talk at the owners meetings this year that he's talked there in the past a little bit, but certainly not an every year thing, um, you know, but. That's the question. Like, when is getting to the playoffs, having really good regular seasons, um, always being competitive in every game, putting out a really good team? When is that not enough? And when does it become, look, we need to get to the Super Bowl uh, for this to be a success? And that that's just a hard question to answer. Um, obviously, you'd have to think next season, if, if they struggle and maybe don't make the playoffs, I mean, uh, his status would would kind of become a a talking point without a doubt. Um, but would it also become a talking point if there's another playoff exit before the Super Bowl? I mean, maybe. But as I said, it's just so hard to say um, just because I don't think any of us know. I mean, we do know that Steve and John uh, have a very strong relationship. Um, we do know how highly uh, thought of John is in that building with with players, with coaches, with, with with executives. So that that really makes it tough. Like, what would be the breaking point where they decide, you know what, this you know winning 11, 12 games during the regular season and then not making it to Super Bowl, frankly, just is not good enough anymore. Uh, we need better. We need to shoot for you know championships. Like, I just don't know when Steve's going to get to that point. Um, but you'd have to think if if. You know, as I said, if they have a really disappointing season next year, you have to think it's going to be a topic, especially with John having only one year remaining on his contract. This is the front office brought to you by Royal Farms, home of the world's greatest chicken. Right now for $12, you can get an eight-piece mix that includes two breasts, two wings, two thighs, and two drumsticks. Again, for $12, that's normally $18.99 at Royal Farms. Real fresh, real fast. Brian, a couple of key players have fifth-year options uh, in play this offseason. And the Ravens must decide by May 2nd, I believe it is, whether they will extend those fifth-year options to, namely, Rashad Bateman and Adafi Owe. If the Ravens extend the offer, Bateman gets $13.8 million and Owe $12.2 million. In your opinion, what's the likelihood that either one of them gets the option? I would say Bateman is probably not getting it. Um, that's probably too much. Well, uh, considering, I mean, obviously we all hope he finally breaks out. And <clears throat> obviously there's been a lot of stats about how open he's been and Lamar just hasn't found him. Uh, but then sometimes when he's gotten the opportunities, he's, you know, dropped it or run the wrong route or things like that as well. So I think he's very, I think that's very unlikely. Owe. Oway had a obviously a better year than he's than he had the year before, but he also disappeared for a lot of stretches. But he's at a premium position uh, where they, I mean, he you know at this point he is the top edge rusher on this team, um, you know, and obviously he wasn't this year, but with the two being with Van Noy and, and Clowney being free agents, um, you know whether they go to the draft or bring in veterans again. I have a, I mean, he's probably, I think he's certainly more of a chance he's, his is picked up. Um, I'll say six, 60%, 60, 40 that it is picked up. Um, it's still a little steep, 
Um, but again, he's he's all they got uh, at this point because uh, we don't know about Ajabo. You know, obviously he hasn't done much, and he's lost two years pretty much to injury. So I, I think they'll probably pick that up, but it's not a certainly not a slam dunk. Jeff, do you think that ego gets in the way or gets involved at all with let's say Eric? Because you know you've got Patrick Queen. They didn't exercise a fifth year option with him. First round draft pick. Now you got these two guys that we're talking about. Do you think there's there's pressure on him to exercise that option just because they're first round picks? Sure, I I think you know especially you know we talk about their struggles drafting receivers and that's always a, a hot button topic and um, you know you, you you trust these guys you have faith that these guys are to develop what you think you what what you think they're going to be and you want to give them every opportunity. Um, you know, you know, what's going to be the reaction, uh, when, and if they decline Bateman's, oh, here we go again, another first round receiver bust and, and OA would be kind of similar. Like what a, what a bad two first round picks. Um, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that would be the reaction. So, yeah, I, I think that has to get, you know, that, that has to come a fa come factor at some point and that'll be all part of the equation, but look, they need to make smart business decisions. This is a team that's not going to be operating going forward with a ton of cap flexibility. Um, and they need to make the right, you know, business decision and, and not worry about that, all that. I, I think one thing we've seen time and time again, Tony, is this this organization's not afraid to make a decision that might lead them to get some criticism among their fans. I mean, you know, I think uh, you know, they're gonna do what they feel like is right for them. I mean, they have to. I, I as I said earlier, they're not exactly in the in the driver's seat here when it comes to keeping all their great players and, and they're just gonna have to make some tough decisions. So um, you know, I think this would fall under the category of yeah. Uh, I we want to give them every opportunity. Yeah, we prefer not hearing about all that stuff, but we need to make more of the best decision for us and and where we are as a team and, and and against the salary cap. So, of those two, which do you think are are both going or both staying, or or are you gonna are you on board with what Brian believes that the uh, Bateman would not be exercised at fifth and Oway will be? Yeah, I, if I had to, if I had to guess, I would, I would go with what Brian says. Um, you know, you look at the numbers and how much it would cost, and you know, kind of the positions and um, what they also have in, in the pipeline. And I also, you know, I, I would have loved to see what would have happened differently if Oa didn't get injured early in the season. I know, I know, people are kind of sick and he sick of hearing about injuries. But they see it's factors. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I just go back to week one this year, and Oway absolutely gave Laramie Tunsil the business. I mean, Oway was great that game, and we saw him get off to a really good start. Um, and then, you know, he had the high ankle sprain, and he tried to play through it. I just didn't see the same explosiveness. I mean, that injury is very debilitating, especially when, you know, you play that position with pushing off and, and trying to get around the edge there. And then, you know, Harbaugh acknowledged that Elway had his, what did he say, thumb surgery, I believe. So he was playing through some physical stuff. I, I mean, if you look at some of the metrics and win percentage and hurries, I mean, Elway stacked up pretty well this year. I, I think he made some strides this year um, that not, not, weren't necessarily impacted in the sack numbers. And I know, you know, people don't want to hear it. They they want to see it reflected in nine or ten sacks. Um 
but I also think he was held back a little bit by injuries. I, I, I think he made some progress this year. I'd like to see him with another year working with Chuck Smith, fine-tuning moves, getting healthier, and, and see how he is next year. I think the uh, arrow's still pointing up on him a little bit. Ryan, what do you expect the 2024 cap to be set at, and when do teams need to be in compliance? Yeah, so that's up in the air. Um, usually we get that uh, information around the beginning of March. Now, last year, it was really early. It was uh, January 30th or 31st. I don't remember which, but um, so obviously we didn't get that this year. The expectation is in the 240 to 250 range, um, somewhere on the lower side of that. Um, but obviously every team hopes it's more and certainly the Ravens with a tight cap are going to hope it's more. So I've been using 245 just to split that. Um, hopefully that's not too high. The 242 range, some are saying. Um, so uh, teams have to be in compliance by uh, the 13th of March. That's when the new league year starts. You can be over up to that time. So for instance, if the Ravens do use the franchise tag, um, that would technically put them over, uh, but that will happen in February or early March before the 13th. And then they'll have to make moves uh, to get under the cap. Um, so uh, by the 13th. At using the 245 number, where are the Ravens cap wise right now? Right now, I have about 8.8 .8 million. Um, that's before we don't know the, in, uh, the incentive adjustment. That could be pretty substantial. I'm guessing that's going to be around $4 million. That's a negative. Um, so that would take that eight number down to 4.8. Um, so that's, uh, and then you'll have a few other things. So they're probably without any moves. If they'd made no moves and, of course, didn't use the franchise tag, uh, they would probably have a little under $4 million as of the 13th. Now, obviously, they're going to make moves, so that number really doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, but that's kind of their starting position. And then, obviously, work off of that to create cap space uh, with cuts, restructures, uh, things like that. Now, you mentioned some moves and a few cap numbers that pop out at you when you look at the Ravens' entire cap picture and then you compare that to performance. The three players that really stick out for me anyway are Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey, and Marcus Williams. Do you expect any contract changes to any or all three of those guys? Um, I don't with Williams because he's got guaranteed base salaries still. Um, now, there could be a restructure where, uh, you know, simple restructure, not not changing, not uh, him losing any money or pay cut or anything like that. Just your normal type of restructure uh, in order to create cap space um, that creates uh, almost seven point two million um, which is a nice chunk of change. Uh, he's still early in the contract, so to speak. So that that would be with Williams would be the main thing I would see. Um, Humphreys is a little difficult. Um, I know a lot of people have talked about he needs to take a pay cut and things like that. Um, that's um, fan talk, I guess we'll say. Um, real, real, real world uh, salary cap talk. It's really hard. I mean, there's 20 almost 24 million in dead money that would have to be accounted for uh with marlin and th that number makes it really really difficult uh to go to a player and say we want a pay cut well you need you know your performance was down now remember he was just a pro bowler two years ago in 22 so it's not like i mean he had a, obviously an injury riddled season this year but 
It's not like he was a bad player. This is a, you know, he's been a declining player. Um, but there's no, you can't really go to Humphrey and say, you know, we're going to cut you unless you give us a pay cut because the, the threat of cutting him is, I mean, you never say never, but I'd be shocked if they would do something like that and take on all that dead money. I mean, that, that number is actually, if they cut him before June 1, that number is more than his cap number. So you'd actually be, they'd be paying more money on the cap by not having him here than having him here. They could do a post June 1, but they've already going to have probably have Odell Beckham with post June 1. And then we're going to talk about Stanley in a second, who's a real candidate for a post June 1 release. So I I would be surprised with hum, anything happens with Humphrey. Um, they put out a void year or two and, and do a restructure on him. They've already gone to that well several times, which has created this high dead money number. So I think he probably is here uh, with the exact same numbers that are, exist today. Um, and then you get to Stanley, and that's the one that probably, um, because he is due $15 million this year uh, in between bonus and salary, um, I'm not sure if they, if they cut him, I'm not sure he'd get 15 million, uh, elsewhere. He'd probably only get a one-year deal anyway. And I, I, you know, uh, never say never, it only takes one team, but I would be surprised that he would get 15 million. So they can go to him and say, you know, we'll, we'll pay you 10. We'll put incentives in. If you earn it back, great. Uh, that'll count next year. We'll worry about it then. Um, you know, would would another team give him ten? Uh, I'm not sure of that either. Um, he would probably get an incentive laden contract. Maybe he could earn ten, but as a base deal. So that you know, is that five million pay cut enough to to make everybody keep everybody happy and keep him here? If they release him, um, it would not be. It would be after the league year starts, and it would be most likely be a post June one release. Um, so that way they would, they would actually create 15 million in cap space that wouldn't happen until they wouldn't get that money, uh, till after June one, but that would be money they could budget until then. I mean, they can, they can spend into the cap on free agency or resigning their own players to uh, franchise tag until then. And that, that 15 million would certainly be enough to carry them through the season. And then obviously, uh, a little extra to, you know, bring in a clowny or Van Noy type. Uh, as they did this year. So I think of the three, he is most certainly the one at risk. Um, they, I mean, they could release him before June 1. That would create about $8 million, uh, but it would leave all the dead money, that, which is almost $18 million in the, on this year's cap. Um, I, would see, I could see them spreading that out uh, with the post-June 1 release if that's the direction they go. Jeff, with respect to, let's say, Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey, are you know these guys from having spent time with them in a locker room, see how they interact with their teammates and whatnot. Are, are those two the kind of guys that might say, and I, I know this is probably the exception to the norm, but might say, you know, I haven't performed to the level of my contract. I really like it here. I'll take a pay cut because I know if I'm let go, I'm not going to make the same amount of money anyway with another team. Then I got to get used to another team and, and go through whole, all that process when I'm comfortable here in Baltimore. Are, are those the kind of guys that have the mental makeup to make a decision like that? Well, um, you know, Marlon Humphrey is probably the most mercurial guy in that locker room. I, I to, for me to say what Lamar Humphrey, or excuse me, what Marlon Humphrey is ever thinking, 
I, I, I'd be I'd be foolish because that guy marches to the beat of his own drummer. You never know what he's going to do. You never know what he's going to say. He says some outrageous stuff. Um, I, I, you know, he's not he's not very tight with any of us in the local media. He does his own thing. So I'm not really sure. He is a he does hold himself very accountable and he's very aware um, and he cares very much about how he's playing and how he's performing and how he's working. So, so you know, I, I'm not sure like how he's not going to get that money. You know, like you look at it, will he be able to see, well, look, this is more than I'll get elsewhere anyway. I, I, I just don't know. I, I mean, he's a wild card and both, especially Stanley, both these guys are very active in the NFLPA and that, that's sort of, you know, Stanley's been their player rep, but I believe Humphrey's been their assistant at different points. So they're very involved in this contract stuff, and they're very well aware of this kind of thing. Um, you know, I think Stanley sat in front of the media, um, you know, and admitted he hasn't played up to his capabilities. I think Stanley understands that the Ravens know his medical history. They, you know, they've been very accommodating with Ronnie to try to find a practice schedule that works for him that allows him to play on Sundays and, and elsewhere, but he just, he may not get that luxury. So I would think him out of the two might understand that and might realize that. Um, but you're talking about two pretty strong willed guys who are a little bit different and, and two guys that don't necessarily put themselves out there in the local media uh, on things like that. So it, it definitely would be hard to figure how they'd react. Uh, but, you know, I will say both those guys are very close to Eric DaCosta. And I'd expect an open line of communication on both sides uh, where DaCosta will have a very good idea on how they react uh, if it came to that. Along the same lines uh, to you both, Brian, can you identify some potential cap casualties on the roster, what the savings might be? And then, Jeff, if you could share your thoughts on the likelihood of that casualty or casualties happening. Yeah. So, I mean, the first one, um, I think the easiest one, although it is potentially a position of need is Tyus Bowser because, well, who knows? <laughs> Harbaugh wasn't saying a lot. Um, you know, nobody seemed to expect him to be out for the year when, you know, when training camp started, and then it just, you know, and Harbaugh seemed frustrated. I mean, maybe it was just frustrated with answering the question or frustrated with the situation. I, I'm not sure. You can't always tell with him. But um, so I think that one probably is the easiest one. Now, maybe there's a pay cut there. Maybe it's we want to keep you around. But based on last year or everything's so up in the air and, you know, maybe it would be I mean, there's a there's five point five million uh in in savings there um and that's his salary so maybe that's a pay cut scenario where and again since he didn't play last year it'll be easy to craft incentives um to if he plays well and he plays often uh, and he's available that he could earn that back but that could give them um you know a, a break on the cap but that one i think is they don't have a lot honestly there aren't a lot of cut candidates uh this year um, so that's certainly that the, the top one, um, Patrick Ricard, there's four million in savings. Um, obviously, he's an integral part of the offense when they use him. 
but his, I believe his snaps were down pretty substantially this year. Uh, whether that's, uh, you know, a sign of the new offense and his place in the new offense. Um, it's kind of, he's a guy that's, you know, hard to let go of because of what he does. And he does it so well, but it's just a matter of, does he fit in what their, you know, what their plan is. And obviously as a fan, we can't answer that, but they certainly, you know, know that. And after that, I guess the only, I mean, we talked about Stanley already. Um, I mean, the only other one perhaps is Morgan Moses, uh, that and just mainly I'm saying that because of the savings 5.5. I mean, I think he's played pretty well. He seems like a great um, a locker room guy. Um, and if you're if you're moving on from Stanley, you're going to move on from your both of your starting tackles. That seems unlikely. Yeah. And I guess the, the I mean, the other big thing with Moses is, uh, you know, they feel like Falele is is ready to step in. And if he is, uh, you know, or they're or if they're planning to draft a tackle high right tackle high. Um, so that would be the only one. And I'm really only, I'm Macari's up at a little under a little over four, you know, he's so versatile. I don't see that, but I'm just from a number standpoint. So that's really about it. I mean, most years they have a lot more candidates, but this year they really don't. Jeff, your thoughts on, on Bowser, Ricard and Moses and the likelihood of those three guys moving on as cap casualties. Yeah, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I, I don't know that they'll have an easier decision than moving on from Tyus Bowser this offseason. I, I just what's happened to him is head scratching. Um, clearly, they weren't on the same page this year. Um, and it didn't seem like they were on the same page the year before because they thought he was going to be back from the Achilles uh, earlier than he ultimately was. And he's just played so little football over the past. Well, he played no football this past year, but he didn't play much the year earlier. And then when he did play, I don't think he played very well. Um, I, I think Tyus is a really good guy. Um, so this isn't any shot at his character by any means. Um, and, um, you know, I just it just seems like it's time. It's time to move on and 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 you know to get that five million or whatever you know what Brian said of savings. I, I think that's a no brainer. The Ricard thing, I would think there might be a deal to be worked out. Maybe I mean there just isn't a, a big market for fullbacks, and I think Ricard saw that the last time he went on the open market. Um, and it, you know, he kind of winded up coming back on the Ravens for much less than was originally discussed, uh, because like the market just didn't have anything for him as good as a player he is. Um, I would hate to see them lose Patrick Ricard. I, I just, he's, he's a very important, uh, to what they do. I liked how he was used this past year. Um, I, I think he brings that physicality, intimidation, and kind of tone setting that they really need uh, offensively, um, you know. But, yeah, at that number, you could see them trying to do something different and maybe getting him back, um, you know, for less. I don't know, Tony. I, I mean, if I was a betting man, I would think one tackle goes and one stays. Um, and I would think maybe they work something out with Stanley, uh, just because of the dead money issue there and 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 how prohibitive it would be to to kind of move on from him. Um, so maybe Moses is the guy that goes. I mean, Moses, you know, credit the guy, man. He played with, I, I don't know if it was a bicep or tricep. He had one of those tears that a lot of guys were dealing with. Played through it, didn't miss a lot of time. Um, I always kind of thought when they signed them, it was more of a two-year deal. And then, you know, they'd probably move on at the third year and be ready to go younger there. Uh, so I could see that, um, 
you know, happening, but he has to make a decision on whether he needs surgery too. And, you know, when one of these cut candidates is dealing with medical stuff, that kind of can factor. Um, but I, I think one thing people, everybody wants this guy cut, that guy cut, you know, they got to be careful how many holes you're opening up here, Tony. I, I, I mean, I think we look at the team roster how many positions where you can honestly say they don't need help right now? And I'm not saying, you know, they need frontline guys at every position, but, you know, you know, I think you, you, you feel like, and maybe we talked about this in a little bit, but you feel like Gino Stone moves on and then, um, you know, you probably need to add to add a safety. You clearly need to add running backs. Most of their wide receivers are free agents. You need to add wide receivers. Your offensive line, your two starting guards are free agents, and then you may move on from a tackle. You know, you need somebody at the only position where you probably could say they don't need anybody at is tight end. They're pretty much set with their three tight ends there. I mean, maybe you're you're a Malik Cunningham fan. You you think they don't need to do anything at backup quarterback either. Okay, I'll give you that one. Otherwise, you need someone, you need guys at pretty much every position. Um, so I think you got to be real careful there on how many guys you're moving on from and how many holes you're creating during this whole process. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a very good point. Is we talk about, oh, we can release this guy and that guy, but there's an immediate cap effect, the, the cap savings. We just mentioned Bowser 5.5, but you're replacing him with somebody. And that, that cost, you know, what cost is that? So, and as, as Jeff said, you're just by releasing somebody, you're, you're creating a hole, whether it's a, a starter or whether it's a backup, you, you, you have to fill that hole. So uh, you just can't release a bunch of guys. Oh, now we have 15 million in cap savings. Well, you got to replace those guys. So it's not 50, it's not really 15 million in that case. You're listening to The Front Office, brought to you by Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. I'm Tony Lombardi, here with Brian McFarland from Russell Street Report, and also our special guest, Jeff Zerebeck from The Athletic. Now, you mentioned moving on, make, creating holes in the roster, and, and the Ravens have an extensive list uh, of free agents, and I want to go through this list, but what I'm going to ask each of you to do is just to say, knee-jerk, Will he stay or will he go? And I'll, we'll just go with Brian, then Jeff. And the first on the list is Malik Harrison. Will he stay or go? Um, go. I'm going to say stay for me, uh, guys. I, I think Malik Harrison's going to be, and I'm, I won't go on a tangent on every guy, but just with Malik Harrison, I think he's going to be one of those guys that they sign and they tell everyone how much they wanted to sign him, kind of like Justice Hill last year, where everyone was like, okay, okay, it's Justice Hill. But I think they view Harrison as a valuable guy against the run and that, uh, you know, weak side linebacker spot. Um, and I think they view uh, him as a key special teamer. I think he stays. You mentioned quarterback before Tyler Huntley. Oh, I think, I think he goes. Um, the Malik Cunningham. Uh, waiver claim uh, and having Josh Johnson, who you can get back for cheap. Um, I think I think Huntley probably wants to go. Uh, as long as Lamar's healthy, he's never starting here. Um, I think he would want to go somewhere. Uh, now I know he's good friends with with Lamar and all that, but I think he'd want to go somewhere else and and see what other opportunity exists. Yeah, I think he goes. I just don't think with where they are against the cap, even paying a couple million for a, a quarterback. And I imagine Hunt, somebody will be willing to pay Huntley uh, a couple million on the open market with how many people are needing to upgrade their backup quarterback. So I think even that would be create a problem for the Ravens. I think they move on. 
Daryl Worley. Um, I probably stays. He's a minimum guy. Um, and they seem to like him and he's versatile and special team. So I, I think he stays. Yeah, I'll say stays too. There's going to be three or four guys that sign vet league minimum deals before free agency. We see it every year. Worley was one of those guys last year. Brent Urban was one of those guys. Uh, I could see him being part of the group this year. One of the more disappointing offseason acquisitions, Rocky Sin. Uh, I think he goes. I mean, Darby clearly outpaid him. We'll get to him in a second, I'm sure. But I think Yassine goes. Yeah, it goes. That never really looked like a good fit. Didn't kind of, I don't know, I, whether it was he didn't pick up their defensive uh, coverages and some of the stuff they did all that quickly. I I, I think they move on there and, uh, you know, re resign a veteran corner. I just don't think it's going to be him. Yeah, I don't even remember a day during training camp when he looked all that great. <laughs> so, uh, Josh Johnson, we already uh, talked about him. Uh, here, here's an interesting one. Former Steeler, Arthur Millette, who I think had a, a really solid year for the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, he and Darby, I kind of put in the same uh, together. I think they keep one of them. It's just It just depends on which one. Um, they both played pretty well. They both were here on pretty minimum deals. Uh, it, it's all going to come down to somebody got to outbid and it's not going to be huge granted, but is some, is some other team going to come in and offer them more than what the Ravens uh, value them at? Yeah. I, I look for Mike McDonald with Mullet. I mean, we saw how well he utilized him. And then when you get in a situation where, you know, you have all these former Raven coaches and everyone sort of wants to see this Raven style defense, They'll look at one of those guys and say, hey, uh, he fit really well in that style of defense. Um, I'll say Millette stays. I don't feel all that confident on that prediction, but uh, uh, he fit well in here. I mean, that guy's a pit bull. They, lo they love that guy uh, in Baltimore. Mike McDonald loved him, so we'll see there. But uh, I'll say he stays just because Demarion Williams really hasn't established himself at this point as a slot guy, and, and they could use another veteran slot option. Yeah, I, I thought like Brian suggested that maybe it's it's either him or Darby. And, and my knee jerk thought was, well, you know, Darby did a nice job on the outside. Brandon Stevens did a nice job on the outside. And Marlon's best years, in my opinion, were on in the slot. So maybe he falls back in that situation. But obviously, lots could happen between now and then for them before they make these decisions. Uh, Sam Mustafer, a backup center. Um, he's going to be a minimum guy. Um, the only way I think, I think there's a good chance he's back. The only way he's not is if somebody views him as more of a starter and wants to give him a shot and give him more money to do so. Yeah. I'll say stays is one of these, one of the guys I spoke with earlier, a guy you can sign early on a league minimum one year deal. You know what you're getting. He actually played decent when they needed him when, uh, Linderbaum missed some time with a high ankle. So, uh, it makes sense if he's not, if there's really not a market elsewhere to bring him back on a cheap deal. The next guy, kind of an invisible man, only because he did his job very well, subbing for the injured Nick Moore. I'm not sure what Nick Moore's contract status is. So does Tyler Ott stay or does Nick Moore get his job back? I mean, I guess it all depends on health. I don't remember what Moore's injury was. They did, um, they put him on NFI Achilles. Uh, Achilles and that was yeah it was training before uh training camp so uh but they did add an extra year um so Nick Moore was signed for two this was the first year 
Um, so NFI, they added another year. So uh, that, that to me, as long as he's healthy, that's saying they expect Nick Moore to be their, their, their snapper. But as you said, it was great that there were no issues with Ott. Um, uh, some of us old timers remember, I'm trying to now, I don't remember, but there was, um, in like uh, the Super Bowl year or maybe the year before year after the first Super Bowl where their, their long snapper went down and the guy they brought back was – the guy they brought in was sailing snaps of every direction possible. <laughs> Awful. Yeah, I'll Tyler Otto go. I, I think – you know, and, and I've talked to Nick Moore's agent on this, and they really took care of Nick Moore after his injury. I mean, they added the year to his contract – um, you know, they envision him being the long recovering, being the long snapper and kind of behind the scenes in the building. We saw Nick all year busting his butt. I mean, he, he was ready to go by the end of the year. It looked like he's, he was always working in the field house, lifting, working out. He was around the team most of the year. Um, looked like a guy who was, uh, you know, very well preparing to be their long snapper this coming year. Delshawn Phillips. Um, special teams, another, as Jeff said, minimum salary guy. Um, they seem to like him a lot as assuming he, you know, he, he's healthy, uh, after this year's injury, I would expect him back. Yeah, I would say the same. And, you know, you, you're gonna, we probably will get into this name soon, but you're going to lose probably an inside linebacker. And, uh, you know, you could lose Harrison, uh, who's kind of a core special teamer. you won't want to lose both Harrison and Phillips. I, I'll say Phillips stays around. John Simpson. Um, obviously, uh, you know, adequate, I guess. Um, a few too many penalties. Um, but, uh, you know, again, he's probably going to be a minimum salary guy, too. Uh, if they and now they could bring him back, maybe he's a starter, maybe he's not. Uh, certainly as a backup, if they brought him back on a minimum deal or, or a guy fighting for the job. Uh, I, I don't know that I would anoint him the starter. Uh, depending upon who they draft and things like that. But I think there's a pretty good chance he's back. I'm going to go the other way. I think he made himself some money this year. I think he was, um, I wouldn't say more than adequate. Uh, I agree with Brian there. Uh, but I just I just think the, um, you know, the the need for starting caliber offensive linemen around the league far exceeds kind of the supply of them. And I think if you can get in a starting guard who who improved this year, uh, on relatively cheap, I think some team might jump on that, and uh, I could see him being the perfect kind of Ravens um, comp pick carrot. Where you know maybe he doesn't get him a comp pick, but he he works into the formula as a guy they lost, um, you know, and and they let him walk. I, I mean, you have Andrew Voorhees here, who they drafted uh, last year, knowing he'd redshirt. You still have Cleveland. You still have Sala. Um, so I think there's a young guy that they feel like could step in adequately at left guard uh, while, while allowing John Simpson to leave. One of the more entertaining guys on the Ravens Wired series, Brent Urban. Oh, I think uh, I think he loves Baltimore. I think you know he when he left the first time, he bounced around a little. He seems like the perfect Raven. Again, minimum deal. He signed early, you know, early last year. I, I, I think he's a guy that comes back for sure. Yeah, it's funny. I, Brent Urban's wife, who's who's a character, she's on Twitter a good bit. She, 
she said bye to Baltimore where, you know, and I think everyone like, well, wait a second, you're, you're definitely gone. And I mean, she was just talking about, they were packing up for the year because they're, they don't live in Baltimore full time and they were going home uh, and fans are so on tilt these days that they took it the wrong way. Um, I, I think they'd like to bring him back as a depth guy. And, and, you know, you brought his, his buddy, Michael Pierce back. So, uh, you know, we can reunite those two guys again, their characters. So I think it'll be uh, it, it, there'll be a deal there uh, on the cheap to make. Real pleasant surprise. Certainly brought value. I think he didn't play until the fourth game of the season, but finished with, I think, nine sacks. And that's Kyle Van Noy. Yeah, I mean, Van Noy. I mean, I think that's a guy they a good guy to have around. Um, but between Van Noy and Clowney, um, you just got career years out of them, that which means their price tag has gone up. Um, and can you expect to get another year like that out of them? Um, th they both turned out to be leaders. Um, and but you know, so there's a value to that as well. I think Van Noy's more likely to come back than Clowney because they are going to need a veteran and he's going to be on the cheaper side. Um, so I'll say he's back. I'll say go, um, but they find a, kind of a cheaper version of Kyle Van Noy. I, I think the Ravens again, they're not going to be in the in the uh, you know the high rent part of the free agent rush linebacker market. I mean, I think we see this every year now. It's kind of become a trend. They're going to go into it saying, you know, we want to give our young guys OA Ajabo and Tavius Robinson a shot. And then they'll add at some point, either late in free agency or late in even, hey, maybe it's even will be as late as halfway through training camp, like with Clowney. Uh, but I think they'll probably find a younger, cheaper version of Van Noy. Since we're talking about Clowney, we may as well just talk about his situation. Now, Jeff, I'll ask you first this. When you listen to Clowney talk about his experience in Baltimore and how he's enjoyed his teammates and you see it come through very clearly on those Ravens wired pieces, do players put any stock in their level of enjoyment of an organization when they make decisions whether to stay or go? Or is a hired gun like Clowney, who's moved all around the league, a guy who's really just going to chase the biggest paycheck? Yeah, I definitely think they put they put stock into it. I mean, especially a guy like Clowney, who hasn't had great endings at a couple other teams. And, you know, you see – Ravens all the time, guys who come back or guys who retire or, you know, even guys like, you know, I think of like a guy like Nelson Aguilar, who I talked to a little bit about the Ravens culture. And he talks about how awesome it was in the building, in the locker room. It, it just isn't like that everywhere. And I think when guys, you know, know they're joining a team that's going to be, you know, in the mix, uh, you know, and has some uh, star players and, and lets their veterans be themselves, um, takes care of the older players, doesn't kind of push them too much in practice. I think there's definitely, um, you know, an intrigue there and attractiveness there. Um, but look, in the end, how much does that cover? I mean, is that enough to make up for four or five million dollars? No, you know, and I just think with Clowney, first of all, like he was, you know, you hear things about veteran players. Obviously, his exit in Cleveland was very bad, got accused of quitting. But, man, it was a pleasure to watch him this year. It was a pleasure to cover him. Fun guy. He was always accessible to us. Like, even when he walked out of the locker room on locker clean out, his hands were full. He had all this stuff. He didn't want to talk about it. He was ready to get out of there. Um, but he stopped and, and to talk to us one more 
time. And, I, and that showed me something that really did. I mean, um, I just think it's going to get to the point. I mean, that guy played his butt off. I mean, we're not just talking. He didn't play well for like, you know, I just, he stood out like every game you saw him flying around. I, I can't imagine some teams not going to be willing to write him a pretty heavy check. That'll probably be more than the, what the Ravens are going to be willing to offer. When I look at the way Clowney played and look and judging on the way he's played for other teams in the past, you always looked at his seasons as, okay, he played 12 games, he played 13 games, he missed three more of these games. I don't know that he missed a game this year. And and to nope. play like his hair was on fire all the time, I thought that was pretty impressive. And And certainly whatever he ends up doing, he's earned it. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's it. He's earned it, and I mean they got him. I mean the, the number they got him for this year was way cheaper than anybody ever envisioned. Um, and I think the nine and a half sacks is going to say uh, he's as much as he likes it here. Unless the offers are pretty equal, he's going to chase the bigger number. And with the Ravens' cap situation, and as Jeff said, how they play their veteran uh, edge rushers, I, I think he's going to get a better offer somewhere and, and go. You mentioned Nelson Aguilar, Jeff. Your thoughts on whether he stays or goes? I know Eric DaCosta doesn't give a whole lot, and he, you know, some of it's even a game to him. I think he enjoys the misdirection and kind of chuckles at what we run with. Um, but he sure seemed like he didn't plan of a complete overhaul in the wide receiver room. And, you know, there's always with DaCosta, you look back later the, this offseason. And you're like, oh, yeah, he was right. Like, he 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 drops little crumbs to see. And, and often you look back and you're like, you know what? He was trying to give us a hint there. Uh, to me, did not sound like um, a, a guy who wants to fill three or four receiver spots this offseason. I think out of the group of free agent receivers, Aguilar um, is the one who sticks. I mean, you know, I, I, I talked to Eric before the, the season last year. And he talked about how they needed, like, you know, Aguilar was an adult. They got an adult into that room. They had a lot of young kids. But given where Aguilar's been in his career, he was a first-round pick and had some disappointing years, had some good years, gotten a lot of criticism. Um, I think he's a great guy to have around the younger receivers. And I think, you know, he had a he had a bad drop in Pittsburgh. But I think otherwise, that guy produced exactly what you wanted from him, given kind of limited opportunities. Uh I would try to get him back. I think he was a very good influence, and I think he made plays when they gave him opportunities. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think as a you know third slash fourth wide receiver, uh, he's exactly uh, again the, that adult in the room as well. I I think there's a good chance he's back. Now he he with a couple other of these guys, he has void years in his deal, and in order to avoid the acceleration of those. Uh, void years that deal has to be done by the 19th which is i think a week from this coming monday so there's a couple guys we'll get to zeitler in a second geno stone um gus edwards um those guys um if they're going to get them done it behooves them to get them done sooner rather than later so if they're not done by the 19th then that money accelerates and if you resign them it's money on top of that so I think that will be a real clue for those guys because if that date passes, it, it, you've you kind of you've kind of lost not lost the chance to resign them, but you're hurting your cap by not getting it done sooner rather than later. So I, the 19th is going to be a key date for some of these guys. But I agree. I think Aguilar is one of those guys that they'll want back. You mentioned adults in the wide receiver room, and although 
he's not technically a free agent just yet. It seems like the writing's on the wall, and I'm talking about the guy who's now dating Kim Kardashian <laughs> or Odell Beckham Jr. Talk about his situation, fellas, and, and where you think he ends up, and he, even what he's worth after, you know, we, we talk about how he was worth so much in the locker room, brought some maturity to the team and, and that veteran leadership and a, a guy who's been to the Super Bowl and won it before. But, you know, that that's only goes 15 or $18 million they invested in him. That's a lot of money for the kind of production he put out there on the field. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's not getting anywhere near that, um, you know, from anybody. Uh, so that deal, he did have void years originally. They restructured the deal in early January to give them a little more time to figure that out. So they have till March 16th to do so. Uh, and at that point, that's that's really a hard deadline because – on that date, uh, as part of the restructure, it, on that date, his 2025 salary of 25 million, I think it is, or maybe it's more than that. I, I've forgotten off the top of my head, uh, becomes fully guaranteed. So they're either going to reach an agreement with him before then or cut him. Um, DaCosta really didn't mention any veteran wide receivers. Um, when he talked about them, and that doesn't mean, you know, I mean, obviously they got, they got a lot to talk about and, you know, sh giving short answers. I, I think that ship is probably sailed now. You know, if Lamar goes in and, you know, pounds the desk to bring him back, that might, you know, that might push it um, in that direction. But I, I have a feeling he's not backing. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I kind of think that same. You could kind of feel like that. That's kind of what it felt like late in the season. Um, but that's not a negative. I mean, again, another guy who you heard a lot of things about. You heard he can be a diva. Um, you know, you heard he can be selfish. All that stuff you heard about, I, you know, Odell Beckham. And, man, he was awesome to deal with. You know, he treated us great. But and I, this isn't about us even. You know, you just saw how teammate – he was like the Pied Piper. Uh, guys just kind of followed him. Guys just kind of wanted to be around him. He has an aura about him still, um, you know, even though his numbers in recent years really don't match, you know, kind of the hype about him and, and sort of the aura around him. But uh, what a fun guy to to be around, fun guy to cover. And, and you know, he deserves a lot of credit this year. I mean – I looked at it the other day, Tony. I mean, he, he got 4.5 targets a game. You're just not going to be able to do much with 4.5 targets a game. And I, I know there's this all. Oh, they didn't get, you know, they got, what, 35 catches for $15 million. No, they didn't. They got their quarterback back to the negotiating table at a very difficult times uh, in the relationship between the quarterback and the team. Odell Beckham was a success here. The signing was a success regardless of numbers. I think you got to look beyond numbers in this case. I just think it's probably time that he goes elsewhere, um, you know, and, and I just don't think you can pay, overpay him to bring him back. They're just not in that position. Yeah, I totally agree. That was a great signing. The There's three running backs that are free agents, Dalvin Cook, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards. Which of those three are most likely to return, is most likely to return? Hmm. Um, well, again, you've got the void years with Edwards, but his usage seems to go up and down. He may want to look for a place uh, where he gets more steady carries, I guess. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Uh, Dobbins, you know, Dobbins, there, there were certainly, 
normally I would say he's the most likely one just because coming back from injury, it's a place he's comfortable, but there always seemed to be some disconnect between he and the coaching staff, or maybe it was the training and maybe that, maybe that's fixed with, with uh, Saunders being let go last year. Um, and Cook obviously was barely here, but for some reason, obviously it depends on numbers. I, I mean, I almost feel like Cook is the most likely one to return just because of the, I don't know, issues with the other guys. Or, um, But I, I could see none of them returning, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say Cook too, Brian. I, I really would. I Look, I just – Dobbins screams to me as a guy who could use a change of scenery and it, and it would just be one of those things. Look, he's had so much bad luck here and, and kind of bad juju or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, why not go out? He's going to be looking at a, a, a prove it deal anyway. So the same deal the Ravens would be oiling to offer. You probably get a dozen other teams willing to bring him in on a regularly on a, on a small deal um to kind of prove it in training camp so I, I why at that point why not go elsewhere um for him and see if you could get something going a little bit and sort of uh reverse this uh you know bad luck trend in your career um Gus Edwards just seems to you know look the things that Gus Edwards never used to do were lose yards and fumble and we saw him starting to do both in the tail end of the last year I, I so I think he's playing through knees that are very difficult to play through. I think Gus Edwards is one of the toughest dudes in that locker room. Uh, such a self-made, no-nonsense player, selfless. Um, but I think, you know, I, I could see them, um, you know, they, they just deal with these injuries, these running backs every year. So I could see them looking to get a little younger and more durable there. And, you know, look, Cook's already gotten a taste of this free agency thing. And I don't think it's gone very well for him. Is is he a guy late in the offseason? It seems like every year they sign one of these veteran backs late in the offseason. Um, you know, we saw it, you know, we saw it um with uh Mike Davis two years ago, and and last year we saw it with Melvin Gordon. Um, I think they'll draft a running back relatively early, uh, by at least early on day three, no later. And then I think they'll add a veteran at some point because there's going to be, it's just not a friendly pay. Uh, the free agent market's not a friendly place for veteran running backs. So I think you're going to have your pick of the litter late in the offseason where you could bring in a guy and very cheap. And uh, maybe Cook will be part of the part of that category of guys kind of looking for work. Well, Le'Veon Bell's looking for employment. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and and Cook and Dobbins share have the same agent, correct? Yes, uh, and you know Zay Flowers, you know same guy represents Zay Flowers too. So he obviously deals an awful lot with the Ravens. Ronald Darby. Um, again, it we you know we get back to he and and Millette, but I it's going to be the numbers if they can get him back for cheaper on the cheaper side. I think they'd like to have him back. Um, they're definitely with, as Jeff said, with Pepe Williams and and uh, Armour Davis. Neither of those guys, I and mean, they're going to go going into the third year now. Neither of those guys have been able to prove themselves. So they're gonna they're gonna need depth. They're gonna need solid depth. So I could see uh, Darby's a guy I could see back. I, certainly not a hundred percent he'll be back, but it's a guy I think they'd probably like to have back if the numbers work. Yeah, I'm with Brian. I, I you know. I'd say back, but with a huge caveat. If 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 another, I don't think back, back on a significant deal. 
Um, so if another team's willing to go there for him, you know, he's had some injuries. Was he 30 now? I believe. Um, I, I, I don't think he'll be, I don't think they're going to pay him a lot, but I think he's a guy that you certainly make an offer and try to get at your price. Um, man, did he play well this year? I got to give him a lot of credit. I mean, this isn't a shot at Marlon Humphrey, but I think the, the best thing you could say is when Marlon wasn't playing, I don't think there was, I don't want to say you didn't miss him because obviously Marlon brings a different skill set, but I don't think there was a drop off at all. And that's a real credit to Darby. I, you know, I remember having somebody tell me this past off season, you know, they signed him, I believe like a week after Marlon had the foot surgery in camp at a time where everyone was worried about the cornerback depth. And somebody told me they were just blown away by how good he looked considering how quickly he was back from knee, his knee surgery um, and you know, that played out all year. I mean, you did not, he had the one tough game in Pittsburgh. Um, but other than that, man, he was reliable for them and he played really well. It'll be interesting to see the market he has this off season. Devin Duvernay. Uh, gone. Um, one of those, um, scenery kind of things. He's not going to get a chance here. I mean, he barely got it. He barely touched the ball on offense kick returners aren't as important as they used to be. I mean, he certainly gave them a couple of good kick returns when they needed it, but um, he still didn't look like the same kick returner that he had been in the past. So I'm, change of scenery, he's gone. Yeah, I, I put him in the Dobbins category. Not that he's had the extent of bad luck, but we've now seen injuries in back-to-back -back years. We've seen an inability to get him involved on offense. Uh, I don't know what more you need to see if you're him or if you're them I think it's probably one of those situations where, you know, you allow him to go elsewhere and see if he could kind of jumpstart his career as a receiver. I've saved the four tougher ones to last. So I'll start with the one that I think is of the four, the least tough. And that's Geno Stone. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, you've got two safeties. Um, I obviously they played a lot of three and I mean, whether you consider, I mean, Hamilton's a weapon, if you want to call him that, not a safety, but um, I think he's priced himself out with a, I mean, I'm sure they'd love to have him back. It sounds like they made some efforts uh, in December and Jan early January before the, uh, before the end of the season. So they could uh, get one more, uh, a bonus proration into 2013, uh, 23, sorry. Um but yeah, I think he's priced himself out um, and he's a lot almost a luxury at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think you let him go and you, you need to get a safety because Marcus Williams has not been very healthy the last two years. And you also, you know, you have Kyle Hamilton, but you really don't have a kind of a young safety um, you know, coming up in the pipeline right now. So, um, but I think you could get a, another number three type safety a lot cheaper than Geno Stone's going to be. I, I, I think he's going to, he deserves it, man. He deserves to get paid, um, you know, and uh, I think you just, uh, one of those kind of where you say, Geno, we love you. We'd love you have it back, but you're going to make way more than than we're willing to pay at this point, or we can afford to pay at this point. So uh, all the best for you and thanks for everything. Kevin Zeitler. Uh, Zeitler's another one of those uh, needs that uh, kind of he's he's the most uh, of the guys with void years because there's four over four million dollars in uh, money accelerating onto the cap. So he's one that, um, you know, if they, if they want him back, they really need to get it done in the next 10 days. Um because then it becomes almost prohibitive adding adding something on top of the four million. Um 
I, I thought they would have extended him last year when they added those void years, but perhaps at that point he wasn't sure if he was going to retire or not. But he certainly, uh, you know, in the in the locker room at the uh, the after the last game, he sounded very much like a guy who was going to continue playing. Um, he's as solid as solid can be. Uh, they got him on a pretty reasonable deal last year or the, the last contract. Um, I think they want him back. Sounds like he wants to be back. It's just going to be a matter of money. Um, uh, you know, it's probably 60, 40 again, he's back, but I, I certainly think it's a guy they want back. Yeah, I would, I'll say back too. I think he clearly wants to be back here. He's played in enough teams. Uh, he, he loves it. He loves the building. He loves the idea of, uh, ending his career as a Raven and and kind of going after that elusive Super Bowl one or two more years, um, still playing at a pretty high level when he's healthy. And he's already met with Eric DaCosta about his contract. Um, you know, I don't think – obviously money matters here, but I don't think it it's going to come down to – you know, I don't think he's looking for top dollar. And and look, I don't think the Ravens like the idea of having three or four new starters on the offensive line. I mean, if you pencil in, you, you obviously know you got the stud center. If you pencil in in Zeitler and you feel good about one of the two veteran tackles, that means you have two spots. And that's doable, especially because you have some other guard, young guards in the pipeline. I think you feel pretty good about being able to find two starting caliber offensive linemen this offseason. But any more than that, you're you're asking for trouble. So I I think you really need to put your best foot forward here and try to get the Zeitler deal done sooner rather than later. The Batman to or, or the Robin to Roquan Smith's Batman, Patrick Queen. You know, obviously they'd love to have him back, um, but I think the numbers uh, for him, unless the market out, unless all everybody considers him Robin, <laughs> uh, so much of a Robin that they're not going to offer him uh, the kind of money he's looking for. It sounds like they made some efforts, or at least he posted some cryptic things uh, on Instagram or, or, or Twitter. I don't remember which. Um, so, but I mean, they they you know they drafted. Trenton Simpson, who looked pretty good and, you know, at least in the Steeler game, uh, looked pretty darn good. Um, so unless the market does not develop for him, I, I'm sure he's gone. And again, we're playing comp pick game and there's a pretty high comp pick um, opportunity. So uh, and they're going to need draft picks over the next few years. So I, I think he's I think he's most likely gone. Yeah, I do, too. Um, and it's a shame, too. But what a great dude. And um, never missed a game in his Ravens career when we talk so much about injuries every year for that guy at that position you know everyone says he's undersized and and all he does from a physicality standpoint to not miss a game I mean that's impressive um, just you know you you draft and develop good players you have to lose some good players and I think that's the perfect example here I don't think they feel good about it, um, but I think they feel really good about the idea of Patrick Queen getting a huge contract that he deserves. Um, right now, I think their chances of resigning him are, as Brian said, a market just not developing. Um, you know, I, I think they would be willing to pay him a, a good bit, but certainly not anywhere close to the top of the inside linebacker market. And I just fear there's going to be enough teams out there, especially with all these Ravens coaches everywhere and, and wanting to get in on kind of how they play defense. I just think there'll be offers 
that the Ravens are just not going to be able to come close to even touching and, and, and they'll, uh, you know they'll they'll be happy for Patrick that he uh, you know achieves generational wealth and and, and gets to go to another team and kind of uh, be the leader on that linebacker group. Yeah, I echo your sentiments on, on Patrick Queen, Jeff, because you know you watched him almost as a kid, a young guy being drafted, hadn't played football all that long at LSU, and you've you've watched the kid become a man, and in all ways, in all ways, good. And he's a guy who's been productive. And like you said, he's he's out there every game. And you could tell that he was really hurt at times, but shrugged it off. I know probably the contract had something to do with that. He wanted to be able to play through it all and, and show other teams that he was that kind of guy that they could invest in. But I don't know that there's enough good things you could say about Patrick Queen. And I think the Ravens will certainly miss him. I'm glad yeah. he said that, Tony, because he is he got maligned a good bit. I mean, he got benched uh, like once or twice. Um, the one game in the Chiefs game where they really went at him and kind of had him in a blender early in his career. And every year he got better, but he never hid. He was always accountable. Uh, he's a popular teammate. He's a character, always practices, never misses practice. Uh, there's so much good things you could say about that guy, and and he deserves this. He he really does. Um, you you know. So I I think it's uh I, he's one of these guys that I think you'll see around the team even when he retires. And I know that's a long way away. He just says there's he's such a popular guy in that building because everything he's all about. Yeah, I mean, think about you know he he they declined the fifth year option, and he. You know, unfortunately, a lot of players don't handle that well. Um, and he, you know, he just, you know, worked, worked, worked. And uh, obviously, as opposed to complaining or as far as we know, didn't ask for a trade or anything like that. I mean, think about some of the guys that haven't been happy here with their playing time or or their money, you know, and they've asked out and they've been traded. He didn't do that. He just worked his tail off and absolutely earned a huge contract, uh, it would seem. The next guy is one of those guys who just worked really, really hard this offseason. And you saw flashes earlier in his career. You listen to other players. And I always say that players know players best. And you listen to other players, even like Calais Campbell, you know, speak highly of Justin Madwike. And now he's he led the team with 13 sacks. I think he had a couple of sacks in the playoffs as well. And just a guy who's just taking his skill set and combined it with an excellent work ethic and the results have shown. And, and now he's set to make himself a uh, generational wealth. Does he make that generational wealth with the Baltimore Ravens? I think so. I, that's the guy that they generally don't let get out of the building. Um, ideally, uh, it, you know, if they have to tag him, they have to tag him. Uh, that's going to be about $20 million. So that's a lot of cap space they'd have to create. Ideally, they can come to an agreement before then. Um, then the you know, first year cap number is around $8 million, which is a lot more palatable than twenty. million. Uh, he just seems like a kind of guy they do not let get out of the building. Yeah, I don't think you can lose him. I just don't think. And, and I just think coming up with an extension is going to be really hard work. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Matabike is – He's he's gone through a couple agents now um, to kind of put himself in this position. Um, you know, he's been I don't want to say reluctance, probably not the right word, because that kind of 
uh, kind of sends the wrong message, but he's clearly pointed to this free agency. He has not been interested in engaging uh, on a long-term extension. He, uh, he had his sights on uh, having a career year and then hitting the free agent market. And uh, he had he took care of the first part. I don't think the Ravens are going to allow the second part. Um, my guess is the tag and then, you know, Deadline spur action. Maybe they can come up with a deal before the tag that works for both sides. But uh, they've they've long wanted this kind of player. They've long needed this kind of player. He's developed before their eyes, and I just don't think you can allow him walk out the door. Last two questions, guys. These are real simple. Does Lamar get the MVP award tonight, and who wins Super Bowl Fifty Eight? Uh, yes, and. I think it's hard to root against the Chiefs. Or hard to bet against the Chiefs. I know they're they're actually I think they're the underdogs, but they just they find a way. Uh, and San Francisco seems to find a way to lose um, in these kind of games. So uh, I, I'll I'll say Lamar's MVP and the uh, Chiefs win in a close game. Yeah, I, I'll say Lamar's MVP too. Um, you know, I was talking about it this week to with uh, you know. Child's walk from Baltimore Sun, and you know I do think it would be a surprise if if the votes anywhere close to unanimous this year, like it was in nineteen. I can't see him uh, being unanimous or all that close, but I think it'll be a far less of a surprise if he's unanimous than if he doesn't win it. Period. I, I just think he's he emerges the clear favorite down the stretch, and he'll win. Um, I, I'm done betting against the Chiefs. I don't bet, but I'm done <laughs> picking against the Chiefs. It's just. Uh, you know, they find a way, as Brian said, and I think the 49ers are a better team. I think the 49ers have more ways to win the football game. I think they have more ways to hurt the opposition. But you know what? I thought all those things about the Bills and the Ravens and the Chiefs went through both of them um, on their home fields. I, I just um, going against Mahomes and Andy Reid and it just doesn't, you know, I, I'm just done doing it. It, it. You know, they find a way and they're so well coached and they don't panic. And uh, you just see a maturity about them that they're content to kind of play these games in a certain way and just wait for the opponent to, to either get out of what they do best or to make a couple mistakes and the Chiefs just pounce. Um, so uh, I, I would be surprised if the 49ers win, as I said. I think they're the better team. Uh, but I, I – I picked the, the Chiefs to win a close game. So we went over 90 minutes without <laughs> mentioning her name, but she's going to prevail, <laughs> what you guys are saying. Taylor Swift. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Thank you for your time. And that's it for this edition of the front office. Thank you to Brian McFarland, my co-host. Be sure to check out his all-important salary cap info and updates on Russell Street Report. And thanks to our special guest, Jeff Zreback from The Athletic. Jeff's work alone is worthy of the subscription fee for The Athletic. And if you act now, you can get it for $1.99 per month. Per month. The front office has been brought to you by Royal Farms. Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk again next week here on The Front Office.